Man, look, it's almost like, almost like a full house in here. Chad's back. Feels good, man. Feels good. I. It's been so. It's been lonely a little bit in here. You know, there's just been gaps and voids because people have been traveling the world and and doing different things, working uh, for the Lord, and it's and it's felt a little bit lonely. And um, it's good to have everyone together. It's good to look and see all my brothers and sisters. And my, I'm feeling, guys, I, can I be honest about something? I'm feeling a little weepy today. And I, it's like maybe sentimentality. Maybe it was that worship set in main service. That will be pretty good. Um, so this one was, that last song, I was telling Jorge, like, that's my childhood song. Like, I grew up singing that, man. That's like, gets right at the heart. So, really, part of it's also like, I've been, I've been out of the pulpit. And I'm chopping at the bit to get back in the pulpit. I'm going to just be real honest with you, okay? But, man, I'm so grateful for the fact that Uriah is back from his trip. And that, that he gets an opportunity to preach to us today. I'm so ready to hear from him. Uh, man, uh, Uriah is a, is a blessing to me. And um, he's a faithful man, and he's faithful to me. Like, I know that he's faithful, faithful to the Lord, but man, he's faithful to be there for me. And he's, and he's uh, in, the, in the months that I've been in Kaya, you know, um, <laughs> uh, your eyes have my back, you know. And he's been there for me. Uh, the, the, the young man keeps my calendar, my preaching calendar. I'm like, all right, Uriah, on this day, I need this. And I don't have to think about it. He puts it in the calendar. The dude's just on every level. Uh, he's, he's been a challenge to me. Um, he sharpens me. He's a good friend. And I'm so grateful that he gets to preach to us today. He's a good brother to all of us. And so I'm going to pray for him, and we're going to get right into it. Everybody ready? Everybody has their Bibles ready? Now listen to me. For those of you... You know if you're supposed to be in the leader's meeting. This is the last time I'm going to say it. You know if you're supposed to be there. It's going to be an important one. We haven't had one for a while. So make sure you're debating uh, earnestly in your heart about being here uh, after, after we finish up. Okay? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to come uh, uh, and hear from you. Um, God, I'm, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for our pastor being home, that dad's back, and that he's bringing the word, and it's like we haven't skipped a beat in Hebrews. Man, that was so good for me. God, there's a, there is an excitement concerning your son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for us. And God, I pray that that excitement and that diligence and, and, and the discipline that, that's necessary to live out and be, a, uh, be workmen for your word and for your, for your gospel, Lord, that that would right now just be cultivated as, we're, as we open up the book and as we look at your face, Lord, that you would cultivate in us uh, a desire to give more of ourselves and to, 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 to give even more uh, sacrificially of who we are to you. There is a great work to be done in this world. And if we don't give up more, then God, we are in danger of not being a part of the last great revival in this world. And I don't, I don't want to answer for the fact that I wasn't a part of your work. No. And so right now, in this place, we, 
it sounds crazy, God, to say this and to pray this um, with all these young people who have so much of their lives to live. And they've got their careers to pursue. And they've got all these things and ambitions that sit in front of them. It, it sounds crazy to pray this, but God, I pray that you would cause us to live more radically for you. Amen. And that we would learn to give up things that seem like good ambitions. Things that seem like profitable pursuits. That we would die to those things that we might live more for your gospel. And that we might be, we might be able to consecrate more of our lives and allocate more of our lives to the gospel ministry, to preaching and teaching the word of God and discipling other people. That we might not be afraid to go anywhere or do anything for your namesake. God, cause us to live more radically for you and use Uriah to teach us that this morning. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Huh? I don't really know where this goes. Okay. Sweet. Um, okay. Sweet. All right. So... Um, Really what kind of started this particular sermon um, was looking at John 4.3. You know how our small groups are going through John. Um, but it kind of, I'm going to read it. Um, it's not like our home passage, so you don't have to turn there. But um, Well, if you want to be turning to Genesis 22, that's what we'll end up. But So it says, The hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Um, and that kind of got me thinking, um, doesn't that imply that before, what, like, shall worship him now, like the hour now is, wouldn't that imply that before that hour, that it, the true, it wasn't true worshipers? So if, it's, if I'm wrong, just... Let me think that it'll ruin everything. But I'm going to imply that I'm right, you know. <laughs> like, the, there wasn't true worshipers before the hour that is now. So that kind of got me thinking. It's like, what, what changes the way somebody can worship the Lord? What makes it true or less true? You know what I mean? And so um, that kind of led, that shaped the sermon, I suppose. I, I was having a really hard time this week um, with it. You know, I've, you know, was coming back from the country, um, I'm kind of, I don't, know, I don't know if it's called laid off, but we don't have any work right now, so they called it, they called it being laid off, but I have a job, sort of. Anyway, so I'm struggling with that, and I was, I was trying to spend all my time trying to think of this sermon, I just couldn't ever, I didn't ever have any peace about anything, and I'd get, like, a certain point, and like, ah, I'm trash, and like, <laughs> like, wad up the paper and throw it. But, uh, so I finally, like, ended up here, and it was just... I don't know, it just, it just fit, and so that's, that's the process, because I felt like I, was, I wasn't, there was a, a truth missing, you know what I mean? That's why the, the true worshipers, it felt like I was, there was something false about what I was doing, and I, I needed to continue searching until that, that truth would, would come out. And so I ended up um, in Genesis 22, which is the first mention of worship. And as this time when I was reading through it, I was studying studying it a little bit. Andrew had preached it in um, Vietnam. Um, he had preached on this. And so I was just kind of going over it again. But then verse 7 is really what, what caught my attention again. Um, and so that's going to be like where we kind of look back to as we go through it. And I'm going to, I didn't make a slide. I'm, I'm sorry. I was moving also. And 
Anyways, I'll just try to talk a lot. But um, So yeah, this is going to be what we go back to, what we look back to. I'm going to describe some things, and it might be a little tedious at first. I'm just going like, to kind of define some things for a while. Boom, I didn't know you were back. Hey, I thought you were staying or something. <laughs> but uh, So I'm going to like define some things, lay some foundation, and then it might get exciting. I don't know, but you're just going to have to like stay with me. I don't know. Okay. So verse 7 says, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I my son. And he said, Isaac, Behold the fire and the wood, um, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Um, and so what he's doing, you know, it's the story of Abraham taking Isaac up to the mountain because God asked him to sacrifice him. And so Isaac doesn't yet realize that he's the sacrifice. You know, he's like, I see, we have wood, we have some fire. Uh, I think we're missing something. And so uh, that's where we're at. And so I just kind of stopped and right there, like, I, what's, what's the fire, what's the wood, and what's the offering? So that's where we're going to start. We're going to start by um, defining the fire, because that's the first part, well, not in order, but that's the first part of an offering. You need, you need fire for there to be anything. Um, and so you can write that down. There's kind of three parts. Um, the first part would be fire. That would be your key point. So what are, what are some things that come to mind when we think of fire? This is like characteristics, things like that. Um, and I'm just going to open that question up to you guys. So like, so since you don't have a slideshow, you're not writing, you know, you're a little freer to respond, you know, maybe. So what, what, what are some things you think about when, when someone just tells you fire, what are some characteristics that come to mind? Hot. Hot. I didn't actually didn't write that down. That's a good one. (laughs) So, (laughs) okay. Yeah. What else? What else? Huh? Judgment, yeah. Sanctification. Sanctification, yeah. I had that one. What? Yes. What else? Destroying, yes. Marshmallows, yeah. (laughs) Fire. Yeah, but like, so something cool about fire is I, I don't know if I could think of something that encompassed both spectrums of any scale. You know, like, it is one of the most beautiful things, you know, it just captivates the human being on this end. But then it also is like the tool God uses to wipe cities off of the earth. You know, like he rains a fire down and, you know, so destruction and, and beauty or, or life and death, but it's all, it's all one substance. And I thought that was cool. It kind of described, not, not described God, but he has those kind of abilities. You know what I mean? Like to us, we can say like, oh, that was so horrible and you know, how, did, how could you do that? And, but but he, he's, he's a terrible God, you know, not in a bad way. But he has this terror about him. Like, you need to fear the Lord, just like you need to fear a fire, you know what I mean? And so, uh, I always do this. I get on little things and I forget. I planned this out. Okay, so, yeah, some characteristics are warmth, light, fellowship, life, food. You know, you have to cook food. Their defense and safety, like when people make camps. Or people are fighting like wolves or something. They like wave fire at them. That works in movies or something. I've never tried it. But then you have death and destruction. It's it's the revealer. You know, it, it when we have the wood, hay, and stubble, it, it reveals what is really going on afterwards, or it sanctifies, it purifies um, things for us. That's how you get some precious gems and stones. Is after they pass through the fire, they become something new. And so these are all 
good and, and, and good qualities, and we need to keep them in mind as we talk about fire. Um, in the Old Testament, fire shows up all kinds of ways, but it almost almost all of it is, is having to do with God in some form or fashion. You know, if it's the burnt offering, that definitely has to do with God. Or if it's, um, you know, it's the fiery pillars that, that showed up in the, in the camp at night. If it's the, uh, the burning bush that speaks to Moses and tells him, like, what, what to do next. And it's the fiery furnace where the Son of Man shows up inside. You know, if it's um, Elijah who is battling these old prophets and he calls down fire from the sky, you know, that has to do with God. And it's, uh, you know, he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. And so this is what a loose Bible definition of fire I would submit to you. You know, I wouldn't go telling people this is what it is. But so God, fire in the offering, in the three parts of offering, wood, fire, offering, fire would be the God part. It would be the the part, I mean, it all has to do with God. Just roll with me here. But uh, it's, it's the part where where it's his action, it's his presence, it's his activation of what's going on, his, his presence coming down to meet what's going on here. When, uh, when, when Ezekiel depicts the glory of the Lord showing up, the part that's God is, is a fire enfolding in itself, like a constant fire, like enveloping, in, like, like the eye of whatever, the Lord of the Rings guy. But that's supposed to be God. They took that image of our God and corrupted it. Uh, anyways, but uh, so it's it's his action, it's his presence. It's he is an all-consuming fire. Whoever said that? That's that's what the Bible Hebrews twelve twenty nine calls God. And so we see God almost described as a fire a lot, a lot. And it's I'm not going to say fire is God. It's blasphemy. But in the part of the offering, it is you know it's him showing up, it's him activating it. If you just set a lamb on some wood in a stone, like. Nothing, nothing actually is going to happen unless you like burn it. You know what I mean? So fire is the God part. It's, um, it, it's, it's what weighs and what, what grades the offering. Um, and then Psalm 104, verse 4. Actually, it's verses 1 through 4. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels, spirits, his ministers a flaming fire. So that's another, another thing that kind of connects God to fire, is even his, his, his agents, his ministers, he makes them like fire. In Isaiah 31.9, says, And he shall pass over to his stronghold for fear, and his princes shall be afraid of the ensign, saith the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and his furnace in Jerusalem. And Zion in your Bible is, is often, Zion is like the home of God, and, and Jerusalem is the daughter of Zion. So that's a completely different topic. But um, when it says, like, his fire is in Zion, it's like his, that's where his home is. Like, he's, that's the, how you know that God was there, like the fire. Um, and then, so fire in the offering is, is the presence of God active. It's, it's him coming down and acknowledging what's going on. Um, and we must have this in order to have an offering. Um, it's an understatement to say that. Um, so, have that in your head. That's kind of what fire is in the offering, the, the presence of the Lord. And then wood is the next part. So you, we have the fire, we have the wood. And then um, 
the first mention of wood um, is that wood's actually an interesting word in your Bible, but the first mention of it is the ark, um, which is cool. It's like the preservation of man, the salvation from the Lord, the obedience of a faithful servant. So these things are, are the first mention of wood. It's it's what it's what saves mankind through God's grace, you know. And so that's that's cool. You can do some more studying on that. The second mention is Abraham and Isaac right here in Genesis 22, which is kind of weird to me, but whatever. Um, so the wood is useless unless it's it's on the altar and with the fire and with the offering. It's kind of a theme here. None of these parts are really going to do anything for the offering unless they're all together. So the wood, you know, if it's laying over there and you just try to set the lamb on fire on an altar of stone, like nothing's, you know, the fire's just going to singe. You know, you can't start a fire without the wood. Like you need the vessel. Um, and so in verse, in verse 6 um, of Genesis 22, it says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went. And then in verse 9, when they came to the place which God had told them of, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order um, and laid, laid Isaac, the offering, upon uh, the altar, upon the wood. So that's kind of the order of things. It's altar, wood, offering, fire. Um, so wood is the vessel. It's, it's the, the kind of the house that keeps everything together because once the flame's there, the flame is going to stay where the wood is, and you have this on top of it. And, and wood being the first mention, you know, arc, it's kind of this idea that wood is the, the vessel. It's, it's the house, you know. We build our houses out of wood. Um, wood, um, yeah, keeps everything together. It was designed to give glory to God. It was designed to be a partner with, with fire and to give oxygen to all these things. It's, wood's a beautiful thing. Um, but it's weird that Israel constantly turned uh, their worship uh, to wood and stone. You know, these weird, like, two parts of the altar and the offering, they would actually take those individually and worship them instead of putting it all together like they were supposed to. Um, Deuteronomy 4.28 says, and, and, and there you shall serve gods and work with men's hands, uh, wood and stone, um, the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Um, and then it says they, they take the very pieces of the offering and worship them, like the altar would be made of stone typically. So they're worshiping those individual things. Um, and I know this is dragging on, but we're getting somewhere, remember? So stay with me. We're just learning about the pieces, so then we're getting there. Um, the wood goes on the foundation. Um, the sacrifices and the offerings were always on the altar. Don't miss that. Um, like Sam talked about, it's the foundation is Jesus Christ, and the foundation was, was the, the altar in, in the Old Testament offering. So you're putting the wood on the altar. Don't miss that. Uh, the wood is physical, the vessel, the wood welcomes the fire to participate in the offering. It keeps it there, it keeps everything together. And the wood must be laid. Um, and so just like when, when Jesus Christ was going to present you know, the ultimate offering, he had to bring the wood as well. That's the interesting picture between Genesis 22 and Jesus is that they're both like doing the same things as they lead to the, the sacrifice, except Isaac is saved and Jesus isn't. So Matthew 10, 38 says, And he taketh 
he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Uh, the cross was a piece of wood. Um, Matthew 6.24 says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. John 19.17 says, And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is in, called in Hebrew Golgotha. So there's, there's like more, more stuff, but I'm not trying to just talk about these things the whole time. So that, that's wood. It's kind of, you get it? Does it make sense? Okay, that's wood. Okay, and then the offering. This is the interesting part, you know, instead of just looking at fire and wood. <laughs> but uh, there are different animals, different methods. Um, you had, like Sam said, the, the sin offering was, was over here, and it dealt with things. Or you have the peace offering, which is over here, and it's dealing with different things. And you have different, different offerings meant different things. And you could, you could do them. You could do one once a year. There's always methodologies for it. But it's, in our minds, it's the pinnacle of, of grace versus, versus works. You know, in the Old Testament, the offering was, was work. And in the New Testament, offering is grace. Um, and there was all kinds of different things, Cain versus Abel. Um, but you need, so you need the fire, you need the wood, and you need the offering. Um, you can't just set, yeah, you can't just set two of the three, and then expect it to work and leave it alone. You need all three parts. You need to do it right. Um, and they needed, they needed atonement. In the Old Testament, they needed a way to make, make their lives feel justified again. They needed a way, because they're guilty and they're convicted, they needed a way to get right with the Lord, to be close with God. And so that's why he designed the, the offering system, so that men could, could be reconciled from their sin. You know, In the Old Testament, that's what it was for. Um, but then in, in time, it was given to the priests. Like the men and women, they would come and do things, but it would, here, give it to the priest, and he'll do it for you, and now he's kind of the overseer of the offering, which is also now, like, we do that same thing, but we have a different priest, you know, Jesus Christ. And uh, the physical offerings were never never what God wanted. You know, they... they uh, that style, that type of worship could only do so much. You know, just like what it pictures is like an offering so that you can be close with God again. God has always wanted the closeness with him, not, not the offering part. And I think we all know that, but I'm going to read a few passages that kind of clarify that. But to the chief musician, um, David, I waited patiently for the Lord. This is Psalm 40. Um, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit and out of miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto my God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, uh, my God, are thy wonderful works, which thou hast done. In my thoughts, which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in any order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then saith I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written to me. I delight to do thy will. O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. And then Psalm 51 Verses 10 through 19 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open not my lips, um, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else else would I give it. Uh, Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The will, uh, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy pleasure unto Zion, build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shall thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, uh, with burnt and whole offering. Then they shall do that. But this is where we get stuck. You know, we have um, this picture of our, our old offering, like what? what happened before, and we know that we don't actually do that anymore, right? Like, no one's actually going, I hope, no one's actually going and building an altar and killing an animal and setting it on fire. We don't need to do that anymore. Good. Okay, we don't need to do that anymore. And so, because that's already been done perfectly, does that make sense? Jesus Christ, he took every part of the offering, the the wood, he carried his cross um, to the place. He took the fire, you know, God had to to acknowledge it. We know that that had to be a part of it, or, you know, that was what was missing with Isaac. You know, he he was spared, and the offering was himself. The offering was um, his sinless perfection, the cleanest heart. Um, He was the most spotless lamb that there ever was. Um, and no, no ram came for him in the thicket by the cross. Like they couldn't just switch him out, you know. Um, he carried the wood to the altar just like Isaac, um, and he he had to be placed up on it. You know, his he couldn't just get on it, and he climbed up there and became the sacrifice. Um, and so that that changed a lot of things for us in a good way. Like praise the Lord, thank you, because um, because now. Often what I find myself trying to do is make that Old Testament offering in my heart, you know, spiritually, not, not physically. But we, we, don't, we don't take Jesus' sacrifice and accept that and then move forward in our new way of offering. You know, what I do is I feel guilty or I, I feel weak and I feel, um, you know, burdened or whatever. And so what I do is I try to like I, I pray and I call I call God and so that's that's the fire like I get my torch and I get I get the wood my vessel like myself I, I go somewhere or on a Tuesday night prayer or in my closet you know I'm ready and my vessel I have my vessel and then my offering is like I, I want to give I try to make myself the offering you know what I mean I, I try to say like I'm gonna well I'm just gonna do this you know or, or God like help me to do this and I, I want to be better here I don't want to do this anymore but like that's that's in, in a way that's that's trying to do the old offering again you know that that's not it's not what we're supposed to do we we we've turned away from that because what we do is we see the offering that Jesus made and we move forward from there so so doing that trying to get through things in in our works or in our in our own strength is just like doing the old sacrifice again but what God did 
was he did what we couldn't do. He made that sacrifice perfectly. And so what, what we need to do is acknowledge that and move forward in that. You know, when we try to do the old sacrifice, when we try to do the old ways or try to do it in our own power, um, Amos 5 talks about God saying he hated uh, their feast days and he, he despised their offerings and sacrifices. In Micah 6, it talks about what will I, what will I come before the Lord with? Will, will thousands of bullocks and, and rivers of oil please please God? Like it's you know we they couldn't do enough. They couldn't give enough animals for God to be pleased. They had like a river of oil isn't enough oil for God to be happy. Like so, me pledging myself or trying to give is what what can, you know give all you can. It's not going to be what God wants. You know what I mean? And then Hosea six six. Well, at the end of Micah six whatever verse that was, says, no, um, I can't give him thousands of bullocks. I can't give him a river of oil. No, uh, walk with him. That's what he wants. He just wants you to walk with him. Hosea 6, 6, um, God says, for I desired mercy, not sacrifice. Um, Mark 12, 33, it says, uh, and to love him with all thy heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's so um, Hebrews 10 is a good chapter if you want to look at this more. It like kind of really walks through how Jesus is fulfilling that and taking away the Old Testament sacrifice. But Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And so what we're supposed to do to truly worship, you remember that, that first passage? So the, the true worshipers shall, the hour is, uh, hang on, I don't want to mess it up. But, uh, Okay, the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So, how do you truly worship? It's acknowledging that Jesus did all the offering, all the sacrificing that was ever required, and moving on from that. You know, being with God after that sacrifice. Not trying to make another Old Testament sacrifice. Not trying to do something good or, or devote yourself. Saying, Jesus, you... You gave your life so that I don't have to do that. He said, he said don't sacrifice, walk with me. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't give me all the bullocks of the world. I created them. I don't, I don't want them. They're for you. I want your heart to be broken and contrite. Avi agrees. Um, I, I want your devotion. I want your, your life. And not, not, in, not in a way of an offering. What? We're obsessed with making everything an offering. You know, it's like, I'm going to get on my knees. I'm just going to give God my life. It's like, he doesn't, he doesn't want you to give anything. He just wants you. Like, he just wants you to acknowledge that he's, he's paid for it if you've accepted it. If you want to accept it, he's paid for it. It's a gift. Um, and that's, that's it. You know, that's how, that's how you work through those things. And so, you know, I'm, I'm at home. I'm feeling... Just not, you know, when you feel just not right, you know something's wrong. We have no idea what it is, and you're like, I don't, I know that like it's just there's not that part of the truth isn't there, you know. 
and there's all these things in my head, like, and I don't have a job, really, what am I going to do? I, I struggle with, like, saying I have faith in those situations, but really when I look at it, I think it's, I just do nothing, you know, and don't think about it, assuming that God will do something, never taking, like, a faithful stance on it. So I don't, I don't actually, like, pray or ask God to do anything. I'm like, well, God's good. He'll take care of it. And then I just kind of, like, ignore it. <laughs> no, that some that's actually not a faithful position. That's just me avoiding, you know, the pressure of doing that. But what happens is I, I try to, you know, figure out what's wrong, and I try to pray about it and, like, say, like, well, I'll, I'll read more or I'll, I'll do more. And, and that's, that's an offering. You know what I mean? That's, that's trying to make something physical and, and inviting God to receive it, and that's an offering. Jesus already did that. So, um, dang, I've had in my mind, I thought that was going to take a lot longer. (laughs) So maybe if we like, we could break into small groups and maybe pray about it. Um, Or maybe if you wanted to say something, but like, what's wrong is in our lives in those times is we're not letting Jesus be the sacrifice that he was for us. Um, And that's, that's, that's not peaceful to the spirit because the spirit just wants Christ to be glorified, and he's the most glorified when you <laughs> accept him for who he is and what he did. Um, you know, we don't feel close because we're trying to bring our own sacrifice. He wants our heart. Um, true worship is the gift that Jesus gave us. He gave us the ability to truly worship God. So that, you know, was my conclusion. Uh, is that cool? What do you want to do? I love how so I think I think we do need a little bit of time of prayer, and then um, and then we'll dismiss in prayer. So you'll hear that you know the, the dismissal prayer. Are you familiar with that? Uh, so there'll be the dismissal prayer. But in the meantime, let, let let's get together with this with this prayer agenda in mind. Um. The Bible, the New Testament is fairly explicit concerning what sacrifice should look for, like for us. So as much as we don't have anything to offer, and as much as it doesn't cost us anything, it also costs us everything. Right? That's the paradox of the whole entire situation. Is like, God's like, I don't want any of your stuff. I don't want any of the things that you can do. I don't want any of your activity. It's all good. I just want everything. <laughs> okay? And that, and that for us is really confusing because that's, I mean, maybe in that paradox we find ourselves being like, well, God, um, I've got to... And listen, okay, you're weak. Are you, are you stronger than God? Okay. You're weak. You're wicked. Because are you more pure than God? But yet, uh, he tells us, in Romans, he tells us that we're, we're not weak because we've been found acceptable in his sight and he's given us strength to overcome anything. That's, that's Romans 8, is like, the condemnation is gone and I, you have my spirit, you can do anything. Okay, And you're not wicked because I've justified you in my sight and when I see you, I see Jesus and, and you're pure before my eyes, and so 
And that's where we stand, but yet we find ourselves falling back into the same old traps. And maybe even this week, especially with summer on your hands, like what Uriah is saying, when you've got this alone time, and you're just kind of fiddling about, not doing anything real profitable, a lot of times we find ourselves feeling guilty and heavy and dark and alone and pressured, and, what it, and, and you're convincing yourself that there's something that needs to be done. And here's the thing. God's saying, be with me. Because I want to swallow you up and consume you and light you on fire because I want my ministers to be a fire in this world. And so what do we have to uh, do in prayer? We just have to confess that. This isn't, again, this isn't complicated. What do we need to do in prayer? Let's confess the fact that God wants to, to, to take us and to use us and make us a living sacrifice. You know, Romans chapter 12. We're not there yet. It's going to be good. I can't wait to get there. He wants us to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And we just have to get on his page. You know what that requires? It just requires some prayer. So let's do that. Let's do it. Ready? Let's go. Let's do it. Ten minutes. Can I close this in prayer? Okay.